Hello and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. My name is Justin Libernet. I'm your host. <clears throat> Today we're talking about the five things that are going to be major influencers in the housing market this year. Specifically, they're going to be inf- affecting investors, current owners, and people that are moving around and renting um, more than anything else. And we're going to talk about them together because none of them is a, a clean thing. It's not like one thing is going to be the deciding factor in the market this year. But they all act in manifold. They kind of sit there together and play off each other and kind of as a group of things have a profound effect. Um, the first four are very clear in how they do that. The fifth one is kind of a wild card, so you have to stick around and find out what the fifth one is because it's, it's, it's an outlier. But it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do something this year, and we'll talk about how we don't really know what it's going to do, but it's, it's a new wild card in the market that just popped up. The first one we're going to talk about is the one that I think everybody's aware of, and that's how the rates kind of are running around. And there's the first one, the first side of that, is the current state of existing mortgages. Now, when you're looking at the way that people move around and upgrade houses and switch houses, a large factor in that is what they can afford, what they can spend, where they need to be. But that spend question is huge. The number of loans that are that were locked in at record rates is crazy. I mean, we're moving close to the peak of 7.37, I think has been the highest in the last couple of months. But anytime we're over six or seven, you have to look around and recognize that 99% of current borrowers have a mortgage rate lower than 6%. So moving, if it's around 6%, can be reasonable if you're at 6%. If you're under, it starts to make less sense. But the crazy part of that is 28% of borrowers have rates below 3%. If you got a rate below 3%, so think about a a large mortgage, right? 600K in a mortgage and you have a 7% rate, your monthly payment's almost four grand. But same size loan at a rate of 3%, your monthly payment is 2,500 bucks or so. So that's a $1,500 a month difference in what you're paying huge shift and this trickles all over the place it's not just the people that are are moving to buy it also affects renters because it makes it harder for renters to get into a home because to go from a rental that they're paying two grand in to the home that they want that they'd be paying four grand for it's not feasible it doesn't work out it just makes more sense to keep renting until it's till something happens till something different happens and that kind of emotional hope sits there and gnaws and tries to like figure it out, right? It just it sits there going, okay, well, what something's got to happen because this is not sustainable. But those those rates mean that people aren't going to sell those houses. There was a Reddit thread, and there's talking about how people are handling the interest rate, how are you shopping, and a lot of people are saying, hey, I'm moving and I'm keeping the other house and renting it out. I'm moving across the country, but I found a property manager. Could be popular, but I found a property manager who manages the place because at that rate and that monthly payment, it's pretty easy to cash flow it. The uh, effect of this is is kind of keeping houses off the markets. And that's something that we're seeing as the market kind of bounces around on barons. They say that this is the article title says housing market. It's a turning point. Home prices are falling. It's not totally accurate. Um, there are some measures that make it look like it's falling, um, but there's others that say it's still up, up 0.7% from the prior year, 
5% year over year, depending on how you look and where you look at it, whether you index against inflation, there's a lot of ways to look at it. While prices are down from their high, they're still up year over year, and they'll continue to be so until we hit that end of the bubble year over year, which is going to happen this summer, probably. I'm not exactly sure when it's going to hit, but that's going to be a factor, and then we'll actually see a shift in the prices. But the other thing that's in there is that there's this supply issue because people are keeping those houses, because people are not moving from their houses. They're not upsizing. They're not downsizing. Because even downsizing can make your total monthly payment go up, which is really bizarre. That if you get a smaller house with a smaller price, the rate is going to make it so that your total payment ends up being higher. So that really messes with the whole market, kind of makes it shaky because we're relying on home builders now and not pieces coming out to the market from existing owners kind of moving to a new spot or selling a house they had to get capital for a new one. Because that's the other side of this, right? So the number two thing that's going to affect this is the cost of homes for the Burr renter or excuse me, the Burr investor or people that are just owning investing for a single family rental. It used to be possible that as a Burr investor, a buy, rehabilitate, rent, refinance, and then get another one, you could get in and you could get these deals. But now there's so much underlying pressure on those prices that it's a lot harder to find those deals, which means that you have to be really sure of your numbers. The money is more expensive. The renovation is more expensive and the time to hold it, the carrying costs are more expensive, which means when you come out the other end, instead of getting a two, $300 cash flow on the top of your monthly payment, you're instead might be a hundred bucks in the hole, 200 bucks in the hole. And so all of a sudden it makes more sense to sell it and then go buy another one, right? So that you're not paying a hundred bucks a month and your cash flow is negative. So that's hitting it on the other side. And both of these things are kind of interlinked. Like, it's not just that people aren't moving and aren't keeping the stuff they got cheap. It means that on the other side, to acquire those homes, they're much more expensive. The, the whole cost and the whole stack of the Burr method is not as feasible right now. It's really, really difficult. There was some um, interviews in Insider where they talked for the numbers and there's a couple in Austin, which Austin rents are climbing, property values are climbing, but even so, they they were buying houses and flipping them, the Burr method, not flipping them, I apologize, they were renting them, so they're doing the Burr method, but it's become riskier because 30-year mortgages are much higher, 15% mortgages are higher. So when you're looking at that and trying to figure it out, instead of doing an 80% cash out, people are only doing 75 or 70% cash out, so you get 70% of your loan value back. So that makes it instead of, you know, if it's a $300,000 house, you get 210,000, 30,000 less than an 80% cash out. So it's a lot harder to take that money and leverage it into a new property because your multipliers are going down. So it's challenging. And if you're an investor in that space, I'm really curious how you're stacking your exit strategies, like how you're figuring out what you're going to do at the other end. You can do long-term rental, you can do short-term rental, but how do you figure out what's going to make it viable? What's going to make it fix? This is also all tied into the inflation rate. So when you're looking at those in tandem for 
not just rent and housing and all that, but the amount of money that people have as income towards housing, towards mortgages, towards constructions, improvements, really anything is decreasing because incomes are not rising as fast as inflation is. So inflation normally has a couple of things it can do to the market. I mean, it could make prices decline just because people have less disposable income, but because of the supply, we're not really sure if that's going to hold. It's still really strange how this seemingly pent up demand crashed into the market and kind of blew it up. Home values could stay super stable. Like they could just stay right where they're at. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with mortgage rates too. If they continue to go higher this week, we're going to see a couple of things come out from the fed. So to see what they're going to do, if they go higher, that'll affect inflation too. Construction costs have come down from their peaks, but we're still seeing the effects of inflation on all of this. And that affects construction too, and how much it costs to build and sell and market a new home. So all these costs kind of compound, roll up. And on top of the other side of it, where people aren't selling out of homes and moving up, there's also not a lot for them to move up to. So everybody's competing for this smaller pool of houses. Some markets have uh, still surplus supply. They have stuff out there that's available for purchase, but a lot of markets don't. They're just kind of sitting there with all that they have out there. And as soon as it pops up, it goes away. Those markets are places like Las Vegas, California has that. There's places in um, Ohio where that's still the case. Florida, that's still the case where there's just, if you want to buy something, it's going to take you a while to find something to buy. It's crazy. It's a very, very tight, tight market. So those are the first two. The first two are really interleaving and it's easy to see how, right? So the cost of homes and then on the other side, the number of people that are going to be selling and moving and upgrading or downgrading. The third one is, well, I guess it's controversial, but it doesn't matter if it's controversial or not. It will affect the housing market. And that's two pandemic era benefits that are going to be ending this year. Um, one of them is the SNAP boosts ending and so SNAP, the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, had extended benefits through the pandemic, and those stopped on March 1. So because those stopped, that means that that block of people that occupies affordable housing has less money now, too, because they have to spend the money on food instead of being able to spend it on housing or leisure or other things. And as that wallet tightens and that wallet constricts, there becomes more pressure for lower and cheaper housing, right? Because it's it's really hard. There's other things that happen where they kind of stack up and you get multi-generations in a single family home. So you get housings that, houses that are rented that are four bedrooms and three generations are living there, taking care of each other and kind of maximizing the amount that they can do with that space. So we can see that kind of change. The other one is the student loan pause that ends this year. Despite the case that's happening at the Supreme Court and being argued and whether or not that goes through, student loans will most likely resume this year. And when they do, there's going to be a whole lot of people that have 500, 600, a thousand dollars less a month to spend. And that really impacts a ton of people. There's tens of millions of students that have outstanding student loan debt. And as they pay it, and I'm again, I'm not judging the merits of whether you should take a loan or not. What I'm saying is that for the last three years, 
while we've watched these housing prices rise, they have not been paying student loans. They've had one less payment in their bucket they've had to manage. So it interleaves and it becomes this other side where they're fully able to kind of take advantage of the market and put more money towards housing than they otherwise would be able to. That's been huge. Um, those two pieces are just kind of endemic of some of the other stuff that's that's out there that are benefits from the pandemic that have really boost people's savings, um, the ability to work from home. That one's going to kind of stay around. It's less. But as these things all shift, they kind of put pressure again. So when the student loan pause ends, when the SNAP benefits expire, that is going to put pressure along with the other things on the housing market this year. It will change behaviors. It will absolutely 100% have downstream effects on how much it costs to rent a place, buy a place, or be able to rent a single family. The other piece that this kind of ties into um, is number four. Number four is legislative issues. The clear one for this is we're still at the back end of the eviction shakeout from the pandemic. So that eviction moratorium is ending or has ended in most places. But during that, we saw more renter protections put in place in places like California and New York. And so as those go into effect, that's going to have an effect on housing as well. There's a couple of rent control ordinances that have flown through. And then there's also the Airbnb shift. So people that have short-term rentals may sell them. And if they do sell them, that could affect the market as well. This is something that we're seeing probably the easiest model city to talk about for this is Vegas because Clark County, which has Vegas inside of it, has something like 12,000 short-term rentals and it has 120,000 properties, homes, single family. So because there's so many of them and they want to bring it down to 1%, right? So that's 1,200. So that'd be, that'd be 8,000 houses that all of a sudden either hit the market as a long-term rental or hit the market for sale. The legislation's going back and forth. It's there's a there's a hearing this week. There's been Supreme Court involvement at the state level. So this stuff will affect the housing market. Now there'll be little microcosms and they'll happen in fits and starts. But you could find a really beneficial deal by tracking what's happening with Airbnb and the legislation around it in certain areas. I know that New York City is having a crackdown as well, and there's several places, including up in Jackson and the areas that are trying to regulate it to make more housing for the locals and the workers that are there. Big Bear in California is having the same thing. So you see this a lot in these kind of smaller vacation towns where the people that live there are getting priced out by short-term rentals and they're trying to do stuff about it. So that's a big piece to watch for legislation. Also watch the way taxes kind of roll out on this. And this is, you know, I, I don't know I don't think it'll go anywhere, but Texas just put up a bill that says if you have kids, then each child born, you get a decrease in your property tax. But I don't think it'll go anywhere because it specifically limits itself to straight couples. Like if you're a gay couple that has a kid, you can't get the benefit. It's really bizarre and it's super, it's super old school kind of conservatism that they want it to be classical families get the benefit but you have these these legislative things popping up um uh, who knows what desantis is going to do in florida next that's might shake up the housing industry there but all these well i mean the orlando things an easy one to look at is taking away the self-managed area that disney had 
is just the precursor towards kind of exerting more of an effect on an area. But all this legislative stuff stacks up. It will all affect the housing market. So at this point, we've got our first four, kind of the big four. And just to go through them again, the number one thing is the current state of existing mortgages. It locks people into their homes. It makes them more likely to keep them and rent them or just keep them and stay in them than upsize, downsize, or sell and move. Secondly, the cost of the homes. So homes for the Burr strategy, or if you want to own invest, are being affected by loan rates, inflation, and the general market conditions, including construction costs. The third is changes to income from the end of pandemic benefits. The biggest one's going to be the student loan pause ending this year. That's going to be a, a profound effect, I think. Uh, the fourth one is legislative issues. So keep an eye on what's happening Locally, there's going to be a lot of weird things happening around Airbnb specifically, and we'll see some rent control stuff go in since everybody is worried about these pricing issues. And then let's talk about the fifth one. And the fifth one, I don't know how it's going to affect it, but I know it's going to. And that's AI with ChatGPT, with MidJourney, with all these cool things coming out that are generative AI models. I'm really curious to see what Zillow is going to do with something like that. What apartments.com does with something like that. How does this change how properties are listed, bought, sold, rented? There's a really interesting article talking about how a company that uses AI to help people get out of driving tickets was trying to get their AI into a defendant's ear in a courtroom and tell them how to argue during the court case. So in that same kind of stuff, is it possible that chat GPT and similar models that come from Google, if you get barred, Facebook's chasing one, will we get models that can be trained on tons of legal documents and go, cool, I want, here's the house I want. I want to write an offer on that. And you just let the AI do it. How possible is that? How well would that work? Would this help to upend the stuff that's happening with realtors? And specifically there, I'm talking about how they're currently negotiating with the Department of Justice and trying to figure out what to do because there's this this case to be made that a buyer's agent is being paid by the seller's agent, so their costs are misaligned. Excuse me, being paid by the seller, really, not the seller's agent. So their, their costs are kind of misal or their motivations are misaligned because they're trying to make sure that the seller gets what they need so they can close the deal. And the buyer thinks that they're getting it for free when they're not, they're paying for it out of the increase in the cost of the home from that kind of a thing. Could AI insert itself in such a way that you don't need a buyer's agent? You just need a seller's agent. Could it cut real estate in half? We're already seeing it do really interesting things in marketing. I talked a while about on the AI episode, about Matterport and Inside Maps and how they use AI to kind of map the house and figure out what all the services are. There's also a massive increase in like what NVIDIA is doing for visualization. There's a thing called a NERF. You know what? I don't actually know what NERF stands for. Let's find out. Okay, it's Neural Radiance Fields. So Neural Radiance Fields, these NERFs, as they're called, are generating really complete 3D models with really minimal data. So it's taking what used to be called photogram, well, it's still called photogrammetry, but it's taking photogrammetry and, and throwing AI in the mix. 
what this means is that I think we're going to go beyond the 360-degree tours and closer to the stuff Matterport's doing, but with more of a just a couple of shots from your smartphone. Matterport does a really good job of this right now. Um, their product is really good at it. They can do it off of what's in your phone as well and just kind of scan the inside of the house. But what we're seeing with Nerve is it can do it outside too. It can do it in museums. It can capture stuff. But I'm thinking about a time where when you're talking about your home, you have a blueprint, the kind of bill and rundown of materials, and then you have a 3D walkthrough of the whole place, the yard and everything that you can look at. And this could turn into a thing where on Amazon, they do have right now where you can do augmented reality and put stuff in your house. But what if it's your whole house and you can just ask the AI and Amazon, hey, I want this room to look cool. Tell me what I buy. And you tell it kind of your preferences, fill it with a Pinterest list. And it goes, here's your shopping list. Here's what it's going to look like when you're done. And you show it off and you go, yep, I like that. Don't like that. And you fill your house up. I, I think it's possible. And I think it'll change the way we market it too. Because you could index and catalog all of your stuff and go, cool, show me the best place to put all my stuff in the new house. Give that list to the movers. This is all purely speculative. None of this is happening right now, but I think it'd be really interesting. And I think it will affect the housing market. Um, the changes for the consumer are going to be cool. But from the investor, buyer, seller, and realtor space, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what people come up with to kind of power up those processes. Right now, when we're so reliant on an individual calling around to find us the best rates, when we're so reliant on uh, those that are paying to be in the, the fields when we search for mortgage rates on bank rate and stuff like that, they're, they're paying their ads. Instead of that, will ChatGPT be able to find us a better mortgage rate by crawling through past experiences just by looking at reviews and past notes and figuring out where they're at? Because then it'll know your situation. It can do it off of that. So I think AI is going to be cool this year. I don't know what it'll do. But let's rewind and talk about those five. This manifold, I think they're all affecting each other together. So current state of existing mortgages is going to mess with it. Second is the cost of homes is going to mess with it. Third, changes to income from the end of pandemic benefits is going to mess with it. Legislative issues are going to mess with it. And AI is going to have a random effect on it. But it's going to mess with it. So... If you're tired of messing with it and want property management that's tech-enabled nationwide and ready for you, then see this is the ad read. Since it's our company, we kind of do this. Uh, it's going to be Poplar Homes. We'll do whatever we can to help you. You can find us at poplar.homes slash pod. That's poplar.homes slash pod. Thanks all for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.